from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 616, 2018 recap with guest Jeffrey Snover, recorded Thursday, November 29, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio, last show of the year. Hope you're having a great holiday, however you celebrate it, hopefully with your loved ones. And I appreciate you spending some time to listen to us and uh, bringing on one of my favorite people, Jeffrey Snover, the technical fellow and lead architect for the Enterprise Cloud Group. Uh, and of course, father of PowerShell and so many other good things. How long have you been at Microsoft now, Mr. Snower? Well, uh, this month, it will be 19 years. Wow. It's kind of crazy because I was talking to somebody about that just yesterday. I was saying, you know, uh, someone that was across the hallway when I, when I joined, I said, you know, that first year, every single week, I thought I was going to get fired. It was horrible. <laughs> it was just the worst year. I mean, every single week I thought I was going to be fired. And, and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to pay back the bonus? Like that all went into being able to buy an expensive Seattle house. Right, so right. I'm going to be out of a job and out of a house. Like this is going to be terrible. Too funny. And you know, normally at the beginning of the show, I love to read a comment from a listener. Mm. And so you, and you, by the way, this will be your eighth time on Run As Radio wow. in, in 600 and something shows. So greater than 1%. Yeah, no, you're, you're a significant contributor to my content, sir. Thank you. Thank you for all your help. Uh, so I go, I just start thumbing through your shows and looking at the various comments from it. And the last three shows you did with me, and they're roughly one a year or so, right? We did, you know, one in, in 2017. And I think she did two in 2016, uh, talking about just enough men. And, and of course, talked about Azure Stack a fair mm-hmm. bit. And in all three of those shows, there was, there was a fellow by the name of David Aykroyd who's been listening to Run As Radio, and I think .NET Rocks as well, for many, many years, commented on all of them. Wow. And so, yeah. And I, I so I had to pick one just to, to read the comments. So, I'm actually going to grab this one from uh, 471, which was the uh, Just Enough Admin and Server 2016 show. We did back in May of 2016. So, it's well, admittedly over two years ago now. But uh, just a real positive comment. This is from Dave Ackroyd. He said, uh, hi, Richard and Jeffrey. Great show. You don't have Jeffrey on enough. <laughs> Dude, he's over 1% of my content. Uh, in fact, I was walking down the road earlier thinking it's been a long time since he was on. And I was going to tweet to ask when we'd get a Jeffrey show. And then this came up in a feed. So he may have willed it into existence. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Oh, that's great. And part of what we were talking about in that show, and this is what David brings up, is I'm interested to hear more about the Windows Server SDK and how apps should be written for Windows Server and how we're going to be deploying this. Are you going to line that up on the .NET rock side, which, you know, so clearly listening to both sides, because, and I did do that show, I think with Clint Rutkiss about the Windows Server SDKs. 
Because devs can, you know, really build to, to Windows now. Mm-hmm. And he finished up by saying, I was listening to the show. I was ironically working my way through some servers for an older product, finding traces of old admins who set up stuff with non-service accounts. And I was thinking about how just enough administration would be a great way to combat admins going in and not using service accounts for things. Mm. You know, just that yep. what I love about JEA is this granularizing of the services and sort of creating that we break the glass thing so that. We do these things consciously because so much I find when I've watched administrators work, they're not even thinking. They're like, oh, I need to fix that. Boop, 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 you know, hop through and no record of what they did. Just like it's uh, it's mysteriously fixed. Yeah. So very challenging things. And uh, David, thank you so much for being a loyal listener and happy to send you a run as radio mug. And I believe you will be the first person ever to have received two. Wow. The good news is I make them in 11 colors, all the old Metro colors. So we'll make sure I get you a, a different. Yeah, no, I kept the Metro colors, man. Like that's awesome. Yeah. So, the, and if anybody can actually get all 11, then I'll make like a black mug or something, something with gold lettering. <laughs> so it's like the, then you'll have the even dozen. But yeah, Dave, you're the first one to receive the second mug and super grateful for your support of the show. And uh, thanks for being part of it. There you go. There's our comment from a listener. That's great. And it was about one of my favorite topics, man. I tell you, I don't know if you know, but uh, Gia is like central to the security architecture of Azure Stack. And and the security architecture, security posture of Azure Stack is one of the things I'm I'm most excited about. I mean, we just, by the way, full disclosure, Lee Holmes, Lee Holmes, oh, and yeah. the Azure Stack security team, they were the ones who designed it. But I was like, go, 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 more, 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 you know, more cowbell, more cowbell. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, they just did a fantastic job. And Gia is central to it uh, in terms of, you know, fault. We did took an assumed breach approach which said, OK, so first, super hardened. Hardened, hardened, hardened. And then we said, but if somebody got in and got admin privileges here, how do we contain them? Right. And that's where we set up all these GIA partitions. So, hey, this thing needs to do some admin task on that machine. No, it just uses a, a, a non-privileged account, uh, connects to a GIA endpoint. We use a GSMA account. So we, uh, you know, continually update these, uh, the passwords on these accounts. Uh, it has elevated privileges and does the task. And yeah. Yeah. It's just, just works so wonderfully. And then we modified the, the GIA thing to have a um, what we call privileged endpoint, mm-hmm. and this is if if ever like this, you know, you call us up. You know, Azure Stack is an appliance, right? right. So if you're not familiar with Azure Stack, it's not like Windows Server, right? Where Windows Server, you buy yourself some hardware and you get a CD-ROM and no. get yourself a big mug of coffee and you know get your rabbit's foot there, stitch it all together. No, that's not. This. this is an appliance. And so you don't have admin privileges. You can't do any, you know, anything you want. Uh, but there are times where we have to, the support people need to break the glass to get right. in. And it requires two keys. And that is to say the user has to say, okay, and customer support has to say, okay. And then when two entities, you know, Microsoft and the customer say it's okay to break the glass, then the glass is broken and you can go in and, and do things. But even then, when you do it, 
everything. There's a transcript for everything, as you said before. Right. Like, oh, something happened that's better. Who did what, when, where, why? Yeah. How can we you learn know, from this? How do we provide value from it? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. How do I root cause it? And and am I sure that they, they fixed it and that's the only thing they did? So, anyway, so yeah, Gia, one of my favorite topics. And, it, you know, and it hit me that when you were talking about that, it's like, hey, you know, the other side of Azure Stack is if you were a bad actor and you really wanted to understand Azure well enough to try and develop exploits for it, Azure Stack would be super useful for you on that. But then you mm. describe this model, I'm like, wow, you've made that extremely hard. Anytime yep. anyone's ever going to attempt to probe at this everybody's going to know and have a detailed record that you did. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the other thing that's just, you know, you do um, these threat models, right? Well, what happens if, what happens if, and it turns out we use um, uh, Device Guard. So Device Guard basically says the only software that can run on this is stuff that we, Microsoft has signed. Right. And so all these things like blah, 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 blah. Oh, but then they could do this. And and then all, so many of those uh, threat models just end with, but Device Guard won't let them. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. I mean, it really is. Just doesn't happen. And it logs the attempt. And it's like, all you've done is left evidence of failure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's Thank you. Oh, and then, and then we're now, I think... Yes, as of now, uh, we are fully on the immutable infrastructure model. So the immutable infrastructure model says, well, we say uh, every month we update the system. Right. And people hear, oh, every month we patch the system. But that's not correct. Every month we update the system. Mm -hmm. We're now fine. Originally, we were patching. But now we fully moved to the immutable infrastructure model. What that means is every month we do not patch a system we replace the system with a fresh one interesting so you've got you know 30 40 vms every single one of those vms we throw away and recreate a replacement so here's what that means let's just say again in all these threat models let's just say we miss something da, 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 and a bad guy gets in and they got a toehold on the machine right every month we throw them out. <laughs> and yeah, at best, they're going to get 30 days with that if they manage to get it right at the last update. But any, anything exactly. that's not part of the of the normal config is just going to vanish. And I, and I presume it. you do that in the opposite order. You build the new one, then move the traffic to the new one and kill the old one. Yeah, actually, what we do is we save off the state. Then we delete, you know, because we, it's everything's, you know, N plus one or N plus two, uh, fault, uh, resilient. Right. Just say, in fact, this was a good one. Guy just, just tell me, he said, Oh, you know, here's our entire stack. And he said, I wondered what ha would happen if, and he went and killed everything, one instance of everything in the entire stack. Nice. Killed one Nick, killed one machine, killed one instance of the service fabric, killed one instance of this RP, killed one instance of this portal, killed one instance, and then ran a full stress test. He says, yeah, I found one bug. But other than that, <laughs> things just worked. It's like, oh my God, that's awesome. So anyway, so what we do is we, we um, save off the state, kill the machine, reproduce the machine with the, you know, updated instances mm -hmm. and bring back the state. Right. Yeah. And, and quickly enough that 
basically nobody notices. It's not so quick. We got to get better <laughs> on that. Okay. There's places to be improved. But but it's but it's transparent so you, you don't notice. 2018 has been a good year for Azure. It, it feels like Azure is leading the pack these days. Yeah, it really does. And did you see the uh, uh, announcement? Uh, I guess it'll be last month now when this airs. AWS is uh, following our, chasing our taillights with their, uh, what do they call it? Outpost which is essentially Azure Stack. So, yeah. you know, for, for years, they had been, uh, well, geez, what's the appropriate phrase? Well, you know, S-talking, you know, trash-talking, right. trash-talking, the idea of hybrid cloud. I mean, really, trash-talking, the, the, the S-word would be more appropriate right. characterization of, of their talking points on this. And then it, their uh, reInvent uh, thing, they're like, uh, and so we're going to do it. <laughs> but, but even better still, even better still, not just, uh, well, okay, well, we were wrong, uh, but, um, and it's going to take us a year to do it. Oh, my a goodness. A year. And now here's the thing. When was the last time you ever heard them announce something a year in advance? Yeah. Answer, that, never. That's FUD. So that kind of tells you how rattled they must be. The other one I saw coming out of reInvent was the uh, Amazon FSX for Windows file servers. It's like, oh, somebody's focusing on supporting Windows better all of a sudden. Oh, wait. I missed that one. What was that? Oh, it's just building... Uh, file uh, dedicated file server infrastructures for Windows. Oh, on on AWS. Nice. Yeah, nice. It's just a, it, it, it was interesting to see look at the announcements and go, huh? They feel like they're being competed with. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it, as you say, it's been a fantastic year for Azure. Yeah. I mean, just really solidified the position. Just think a lot. Lots of it feels like it. You know, a lot of wind on our back. You right. know, honestly, a few years ago, did not feel like we had wind on our back. Felt like we had some wind in our face. Right. <laughs> this year, sort of like, hey, I noticed that wind, but it's uh, the opposite direction. Blown, so blown that's in very the right nice. Way. But it's also been a, just a great year, and then really great couple years for Windows Server. Mm-hmm. You know, Windows Server 2016 really did rock. I mean, that was a great release. People are having a lot of success with that. And then the 19 stuff now it'll be uh, fully GA. I think that's the term they're using now in uh, January as the OEMs take it. So we we, we changed the way we release it, and so I know that caused some people some confusion. But basically, uh, you know, we released it. Um, and gave it to the OEMs, right. and then the OEMs have to do their process. And if you people who have Windows Server know this, basically, when a new version comes out, the OEM has to say, and and you can take your existing hardware and move it to that. And if you have a problem, you can call us. Right. Until they make that call, if you move to the latest version of the OS and you got a problem, they're going to say. Who told you we supported that? Yeah. Right. So anyway, so the way we released the product, there was a, a, a delay between the sort of like client availability and the server availability. Mm-hmm. So basically the server OEMs are all kicking the tires, making sure that they can support it. And that'll happen in January, I think. That's so, awesome. Anyway, and, and that's going to be a very good release. I mean, just, you know, some great reliability, some great performance stuff, some great some great automation stuff, and of course the the uh, great web GUI. 
you know, the, the web uh, administration stuff. Mm-hmm. It's been a great year for, for server as well. I get the sense that 2019 more than any previous version is the version that was built in the cloud first. And then it's been the way they've been doing exchange for years now, where it's like you, you test all the stuff on in your cloud environment and then you push it down as a, as an on-prem product. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. You know, it's just, you know, each year, more and more of the requirements are being driven from Azure and this now Azure stack. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's yeah. absolutely effective and it's going to be really interesting. I mean, we'd thought like 2018 didn't have its challenges too. Windows update did not have a good year. Yeah. Uh, we had some issues. Yeah. yeah no kidding. Yes, we did. Well, There's no doubt about it. And yeah. it's worth, you know, and here's the thing. Great thing about Microsoft is we admit our errors Mm-hmm. We confront them. We have the courage to address them. So here, here's the answer. We stepped on a rake. Yeah. <laughs> we stepped on that rake a couple times this year. <laughs> but then, you know, one, we admitted. And then two, we're off finding out, hey, what actually happened here? What went wrong? And how can I build a system so that that never happens again? So I don't know if you had a chance to read John Cable's uh, blog on exactly what went wrong and, you know, why it went wrong and then what it is that we're doing to, to try and address it. But it went into great detail. And now there was two parts of it. One was great detail about, hey, here's where we screwed up. There was the signal, really small signal, but a really strident signal like, hey, this is really, really bad. But it was a small signal. Uh, and so the fix is we're going to provide a mechanism for when people are providing feedback. They can tell us, hey, ex- how, how, bad is this and the things where people are flagging like hey you know this is on this is annoying this is a pain in the butt uh that's one thing but where we see hey this is really you know bad it's a showstopper uh, even if the signal's small we can pay attention to it yeah but the part about that blog that nobody's been talking about is the part where he said okay and look at the you know release by release the number of incidences that we've been getting you know unique uh, problems and then just pretty steadily release after release that number has been coming down and down and down now that's not to diminish the fact that we screwed up and we need to fix it Mm -hmm. but there's a second story there too like fully acknowledge that now let's have this other conversation, like when you're ready. The answer is Windows has been getting very, very good. Yeah. Well, and, it, and the new model is just so interesting. I found it fascinating. The pushback for those problems were update less often. And in the DevOps world, yeah. that, you know, I'm thinking Adrian Cockcroft, it's like, no, go faster. Yep. So, He's right. Yeah. You know, the, you don't, you don't, a bicycle doesn't get more stable the slower you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so in this case, you're like, oh, wait, it doesn't that, isn't that going to be bad? And the answer is no. Um, what we do have to do is we have to get the right signaling and the right testing uh, in place. But right. once you have that, you want to go faster. So it's a big task, right? But the degree to which you can, you know, um, get a good quality process, which is to say you, you make a change, you produce a, a build, and then you test that change. If you can be very efficient at that and be confident that your change didn't break things, you can go very, very fast. It's very, it's absolutely true. And Jeff, I need to interrupt you for just a moment for this very important message. Did you inherit a SQL Server? 
And I don't mean the good kind of inheritance, like your grandparents left it to you. I mean in a bad way, like someone left your company and left you with a slow, unreliable database server. Find out what you're up against. Go to brentozar.com and get a free set of scripts to run a SQL Server health check. It'll take less than five minutes, and it's totally free. Go to brentozar.com. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell here with Jeffrey Snover, and it's our end-of-the-year show. And uh, is there things to talk about with PowerShell, or is it just awesome all the time these days? Yeah, well, you know, we got uh, we released the 6.1 release. Yep. So, you know, it's PowerShell Core, PowerShell Core, PowerShell Core. If you're not up to date, PowerShell Core is cross-platform and open source. And I got to tell you, there have been some surprises there. Um, we knew it was going to be pretty popular. Uh, we did not anticipate how popular it was going to be with Linux. Like, yeah. I figured, you know, of course, you know, and Linux people, they'll... You know, they'll kick the tires and a bunch of them will throw rocks. Oh, Microsoft dollar sign, dollar sign and da, 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 da. Um, but the, the, uh, the Linux adoption is just crazy. I mean, just we had no idea. Wow. So and we're totally uh, public with our, our telemetry. So if you search PowerShell telemetry, you'll see, you know, we've got our Power BI. Uh, it's publicly available to everyone. Basically, 80% of the uh, PowerShell uh, starts are Linux. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, part of that, will, of course, will be, well, because on Windows, people are using Windows PowerShell because core PowerShell has um, has uh, less coverage. Um, and so we might see, you know, with RS5, we really did a bunch of work to, to increase the coverage for PowerShell core. And so the way that works now is that PowerShell core 6.1 will look in system 32 mm-hmm. and look at the uh, modules there and anything that's declared, oh, it's PowerShell, you know, what, what PowerShell edition it supports, desktop or core, we'll uh, bring those in. So basically, we went from like, you know, supporting 400 Windows commandlets to like 1900, like very high. It's wow. basically hit the critical mass. And that's not counting Azure and you count Azure and VMware and Google and AWS. The total count for uh, core PowerShell is like uh, many, many, many thousands. Um, but we also did this thing called Windows Compatibility Module, which is really just this amazingly cool technology. And basically, it says, okay, so there's some, like, like the TLS module doesn't support and is not supported on PowerShell Core yet. Right. Okay. So, I don't know, are you blocked by that? No. Nope. Like, no, most people aren't. No. So, I think most people you're going to find your critical mass is just fine. Yeah. But somebody might need that. And so what you could do is you go, well, from PowerShell core, you can call PowerShell version 5.1 and run it there. But what we've done is we use the magic of implicit remoting. Now, this is a technology we developed with the exchange team in PowerShell version 2. But the experience has been a little bit raw. And so what we did was we just made the experience right. And so what you do, you know, typically what you do is you say import module foo. It gets loaded into your process and then the commands from module foo are available to you. So you say get foo and just runs, runs in process. You get the objects, you display them. So with the Windows compatibility module, what you do is you say import win module foo. Now what that happens, it says, okay, so this means foo, in this case, like say TLS, that's not, that doesn't run on core PowerShell. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to import it. And the way I'm going to import it is I'm going to create a, a remote session to PowerShell version 5.1. And then I'm going to do an implicit remoting. So basically every function in that module, I'm going to create a local proxy for them. Nice. So I get tab completion, I get help, I get formatting. Looks like I've got the module there. And when I type, you know, get TLS, it then sends it to that remote connection. It runs there and gets the objects back and displays them. So really fun, cool technology. Um, and therefore, you get full and complete coverage. Yes, awesome. So exciting stuff in PowerShell. Yeah, no kidding. And yeah, just love the whole cross-platform thing. Speaking of Linux, yeah. you know, one of the conversations that I had this year was with Galen Hunt. Oh, man. Talking about Azure Sphere and the fact that Microsoft has its own Linux distro. Is that crazy? It, where are we? What planet is this? <laughs> this is not your dad's Microsoft. No, By no way, kidding. also reflected, reflected in the fact that uh, um, uh, as of like yesterday, Microsoft was the world's uh, most valuable company. How that happened? Did you see that? I, I thought that was Apple. Yeah, we uh, we went past uh, Apple in terms of market capitalization. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, those things always go up and down, and it doesn't really mean that much. But it is sort of a sign of, wow, this is not, you know, not your dad's Microsoft. Um, this is a new Microsoft. It's a Microsoft that is, is look, it's, the value proposition is super clear. Yeah. Right? Such is absolutely clear about this. Make our customers successful. And it turns out when you make your customers successful, whether they want to be do it through Windows or whether they want to do it through Linux, whether they want to do it on-premises or they want to do it in the cloud or they want to have a combination of in the cloud and on-premises, you make your customers successful and we'll do fine. And you know what? He was right. Yeah. <laughs> and we're executing that. We have our own Linux distribution. Linux is very well supported on uh, Azure. Right. Uh, Windows, of course, is. Uh, we support the cloud. We support on-premises. And people have, people have responded, and the stock market's responded. So it really is, uh, as I say, sort of a wind-against-the-back moment. Yeah, so it's all moved so rapidly. And but what's interesting is, you know, of course, I'm working on that history of .NET book, too, which means really talking about the history of Microsoft. And for quite a while, Microsoft was kind of off the radar. Mm. You know, the, when you talked about the sort of big technology companies, it was Apple and Amazon and Google and Facebook being sort of the newcomer in that group. Microsoft tended to be left off the conversation every so often. And these days, it seems really hard to do that. They, they're just yeah. too important in this space. Well, what's uh, what coming up next? I mean, we, we talked and we briefly mentioned IoT. Like, it strikes me that Azure Sphere is a really a clever set of thinking around how we make IoT win work. Yeah. You know, so you want to hear a funny story about Azure Sphere? Sure. So um, we had a uh, a group um, kind of town meeting, right? Where basically um, they can ask me anything, and I encourage people. I said, "Look, you know, when you get a guy like me up here, ask the hard questions, sure. right? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the unvarnished, un no marketing BS truth. So go for it, you know? And so we asked about IOT and I said, okay, here's the deal. IOT, 
It's a disaster. This is going to be a mess. This is like the worst thing in the world. And I said, look, here's the thing you want to get in focus, right? Think through like, okay, so you know Scott Hanselman. Yes. Yeah. Scott has an artificial pancreas. Did yes. you know that? I am aware. Yeah. Okay. So what's that mean? He's monitoring his glucose and he's got open source software that's then, mon- you know, adjusting the release of insulin to, to keep things uh, appropriate, right? So it's a real-time biological control system, right? And I said, and now, so that's where we are today. If you think about IoT, and, you know, where that's going to be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it's absolutely clear that we are going to be used computing, IoT in the cloud, is going to be literally, literally running the fabric of our worlds and in, and in some cases of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in that world, if it's not absolutely secure, you have just built a, a a house on on sand yeah and i just said and here's the problem these iot players just don't care about security there's it's a terrible security posture the economics uh of the marketplace don't reward security you know just disaster 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 i said i could not be more pessimistic about iot then and this is by the way this is there, there is some IoT, you know, industrial grade, you know, uh, manufacturing factory control systems. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about general consumer stuff. And um, and then it was the two weeks later. I was at the executive retreat where they're like, okay, and this is one of the things we don't talk about until later. And they talked about Galen's work on Azure Sphere. And man, you cannot imagine that the change between pessimist and optimist Mm -hmm. that guy has done such a good job in like lining it all out right getting hardware security so if people aren't familiar azure sphere is this microcontroller super secure linux we took some of the technology hardware technology from xbox security hardware xbox security incorporated into that chip Took some of our software security, incorporated into that version of Linux, uh, got a great price point, a great control uh, model, a great application model, and man, I th- I'm just crazy optimistic about Azure Sphere, both itself and as the clarion call to the industry that says, hey, if you're not using Azure Sphere, you got to do the things Azure Sphere is doing. Right. Like, go ahead and do your own implementation. But this is the way it's got to be done. And uh, so, yeah, I'm just crazy optimistic. Galen's a rock star. Yeah, no, I very much impressed me, you know, the, the the clear thinking through all these things and just not being afraid to take on the whole problem. Because, I mean, Microsoft, generally speaking, hardware is not your strength. You know? Well, you know, that's our reputation. But yeah. the reality is we've been doing pretty good. So, you know, if people point out this, I mentioned that to somebody who says, uh, in case you're not up on current events, we've been producing some of the world's most popular mice and keyboards sort of forever. Forever, like, yeah. Oh, well, okay, yeah, but, and then it's like, well, and then there was this thing called Xbox. Yeah. And yeah, we, you know, we stepped on a few rakes there, yep. but the reality is that's going pretty well. Still good, then, yeah. The new machines are amazing. Yeah. And then these days we're doing um, uh, surfaces. Yeah. And those are going pretty well. And you know what? In the data center, we're designing racks and servers, and we're building chips 
for those things, designing the chips that go in them. The FPGAs. It's like, oh, in fact, okay, so here's the thing. This is what I call the reintegration of the computer industry, right? So have we had this conversation? I don't think so. Please. Okay. Let's start it in digital. You know, I used to work for digital. In fact, I think I told you that story, right? Microsoft's had three chief architects for Windows Server. Yeah. All three of us uh, were consulting engineers at digital, right? (laughs) So Dave Cutler, Bill Lang, and myself. Right. So we were at digital and uh, Bill... Gates said a lot of people uh, get the decline of digital wrong. They think it's this, this. The heart of it was that they were excellent at something that no longer mattered. Right. And what they were excellent at, what we were excellent at, was this vertical integration, right? We built the chips. We built the boards. We built the systems. We built the interfaces. We built the disks. We then put them all together. We built the operating system. We built the applications, and we serviced it. The full uh, vertically integrated, you know, sand to services. Sure. And what happened was the industry shifted. And everyone was getting their chips from Motorola and Intel. They got their operating systems from Sun and Microsoft. They got their applications sort of from wherever, uh, et cetera. So we moved to a a horizontally integrated industry. And that's what he meant, that that we were excellent at something, vertical integration, that no longer mattered. Well, what you're seeing, and it's been coming now for quite some time, is a reintegration of the computer industry, that the dominant and most successful players are taking parts of of the uh, 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 stack and doing full uh, vertical integration. So it's most notable in the in the phones, right? So. Apple's been building their own chips for quite some time. Yep. Yes, it's an ARM core, but they build their chips. They have custom silicon for things like fingerprint recognition or facial recognition, uh, et cetera. Um, and so you just in, in in the cloud, you know, we're building our own chips, we're building our own servers or designing, we're designing our own chips. Right. We don't have we don't have fabs. But we design the chips for our NICs. We're designing chips for our uh, artificial intelligence uh, engines. Uh, we build our own or we uh, design our own racks for um, power, great power and efficiency. So there is a, a reintegration of the computer industry. Now, it's not going to take over everything, but I think it's going to be a wider and wider swath of the industry is going to be fully vertically integrated well and it's interesting you think about that way because like you said you don't have any fabs and you don't need them and you don't need them right that's always the trick right yeah we've matured this industry to a point now where you can send a design to a fab and they will make it for you yeah exactly but it's the it's the integration is in the design ownership is that as much as generalized computing has become dominant right you think about you, I, I, all this IoT hardware now running .NET, just becoming sufficiently powerful that we can run all the stacks. You can afford to do customization because of the way things are fabricated, and and we can build at any scale. You don't need to make a million of anything or a billion of anything to have it make sense. Yep. Yeah. Right. You know, I think back to Tim Tim Cook's original claim to fame. What what sort of put him on the map for Apple was the deal he made. I think it was with Fujitsu, where he bought up all of their production of a particular kind of memory chip 
for the iPod Nano. Oh. So that, so that nobody could make a competitor because literally uh. the year's production was owned by Apple. Wow. And there's, and you just couldn't build a fab fast enough. So it's like we, we get a one year head start on everybody in this new form factor because of those kinds of moves. But the customization of fabs just doesn't look that way anymore. Yeah. Now you pretty much take a plan, feed it into almost any fab, and they can make those things. It's amazing. Yeah. What uh, people don't crack, or some people don't crack, is the scale that things are operating on, um, the potential for uh, efficiencies are so great. In fact, here's a great one. You'll like this. <laughs> so what I'm going to say is that the, there's – you know, now that effectively the per core performance is sort of capped out and you have to do other tricks, right? So you have more cores yep. or more dedicated circuitry. So here's, I was on a panel once is a, a tech ed panel with a uh, Butler Lamson. Have you ever talked with Butler? I've never talked to him. I know who he is though. Yeah. Right. So Turing award winner. I mean, just a God of the industry invented this little thing. Maybe some of the, your audience will have heard of it. It's called ethernet. Yeah. No. Yeah, you know, so that guy worked, works for Microsoft. <laughs> he, there were three people, but he was one of them. Anyway, so so Butler, I'm on a, somehow I ended up on a panel uh, talk with Butler, but he had this great thing. He said, hey, you know what? And I'll get the numbers wrong. I'll get them wrong. I wish I could remember it precisely. But he said, I've been doing this for a while. And it is a, and it's an objective fact that uh, CPUs have improved in my career by five orders of magnitude. It says, now it is my subjective experience that the user experience of these cores of these CPUs has improved by perhaps one order of magnitude. Mm -hmm. There are four orders of magnitude of performance that have gone unaccounted for. <laughs> if you can figure out where they are and, and get them back, you can become you know, a, a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> and he's right. Yeah. So, you know, we have these general purpose CPUs and boy, that, that, that train has helped us fantastically. Sure. But that gravy train's over. The per core performance is, is effectively topped out. So now what's happening is, oh, well, we're building dedicated circuit. You know, I, I you can still, uh, notice I didn't say Moore's Law has ended. Right. It's the per-core performance that's basically topped out. But you can still put more and more transistors on a chip yes. for reasonable price on chips. Um, so what we're doing is we're taking those those transistors and we're saying, oh, okay, I'll build a dedicated circuit to recognize uh, fingerprints. Like, oh, like, and I can do it very efficiently uh, at very low energy. So that's the play. Yeah. The more, and you say it's more optimization. I, I have been doing these five year projections. We're talking about Moore's law running out because they can't keep making the circuit smaller. Eventually you run out of atoms. Yes. And, and, and Intel is slowing down because they're struggling with those small form factors. They have been, but as some, as we had a, we had this wonderful, um, technical fellow distinguished engineer offsite a couple days ago mm -hmm. and somebody was given a, a report out on chips and somebody's like oh you know basically making the point you said and the guy said no 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 let's be clear the latest apple phone is using seven nanometer yes. technology so yeah. it Look, some people are struggling, but that doesn't mean the the technology is having issues, yeah. you know, and he was very optimistic about it going even smaller and smaller. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of that's public, so I won't go into details, but he painted a crazy optimistic um, 
landscape for hardware innovation. But again, it's not uh, x86 general purpose no. uh, instruction set innovation. It was, no, there's radical thinking. And that's the, th- the other story I think people don't get is that this is the most, to me, the most exciting and volatile time in the industry because every single layer of the technology stack is undergoing Deep and fundamental rethinking from the, hey, how do I design chips? You know, what circuits? How do I buy, to do systems? What does a memory architecture look like? Yeah. Oh, I've got these new different types of memory. Oh, what can I do with networking and different protocols and just every single layer? And how they interact uh, is the thing that is is so hard to, pr- to predict. I think it's one of the one of the tyrannies of the TikTok cycle of Intel was that they weren't improving the underlying chip design because you could always get more performance out of that ongoing Moore's law effect. The fact that we have X86 instructions from the 1980s still in this chip is as much a failing as anything else. Why, why shouldn't we be redesigning these things? And so I appreciate your, your viewpoint just saying, yeah, we are redesigning it because it's easier to do now. And the benefits are substantial. Yeah. But, you know, I think, again, it's back to this thing about the vertical integration. Mm -hmm. Look, let's just say, um, um, you know, uh, they had uh, put fingerprint reading on there. Like, who's asking for that? Right. right? And, And the answer is, well, Apple and other phone manufacturers had a very clear, I need this. And... Uh, like I, the, the, I'm, it's on a device that is not plugged into a, a wall socket. So I need it and I need it to not consume any energy. <laughs> yeah. So I will design that into the instruction or into, into the, a chip that I already have. So I think there's a, 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 a play there. It's awesome. Yeah. Jeff, so much fun to talk to you. And thanks for closing out my year with me. I, I really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Always yeah. a pleasure. We always, we always go places I didn't predict we were going to go. That's part of the fun, I think, and, uh, and, and a fun conversation. Uh, and thanks for, for being part of it. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. <laughs>